Welcome, welcome to Inside the Cowboys. My name is John Williams. I'm your host. And joining me on the phone today is Matthew Lennox. You know him as at Star Conscience over on Twitter. You can find his work at, at InsideTheStar.com. Hey, Matthew, how you doing today, bud? I'm doing very well. How about you, sir? Doing all right, man. It, it was a bit of a disappointing Dallas Cowboys season. We're now in the middle of the, or at the early part of the off season. Looking back at the 2019 season, kind of give me just your overall take about this team. Well, John, I would say that uh, when the season started, there was a lot of optimism uh, coming off a 10 to 6 season and uh, their uh, third uh, division crown in uh, five years and actually winning a playoff game. Um, I saw this team as making the playoffs again. Not sure if they're going to win division or maybe a wild card, but I saw them as a playoff team. Uh, the way it played out um, after starting 3-0, and they ended up 8-8. Um, it's very disappointing um, because I really felt like they were one of the handful of teams in the conference that could make uh, a run to the Super Bowl, but looking back on the season, it doesn't surprise me that it ended this way because of how in, how consistent they were at being inconsistent. I think that's the only thing they consistently did all year long right. was be inconsistent. And there were just too many slow starts. There were a lot of play calling issues during certain points of the game. I think cost us a lot of victories that we should have had. So as frustrating as it was, if I'm being honest about it, when I look back on the whole season, how things played out, it doesn't surprise me. And that's the sad thing with the team that has as much talent as the Cowboys. I feel like they have one of the top five or seven rosters in the whole league. It was one. It was one of those things where it just seemed like, you know, one week we'd get this explosive offensive output matched with a really solid defensive game, and then the next week right. we, you know, the the Cowboys would just kind of go into a shell and they wouldn't look anything like a team that had finally put it together offensively. Right. And it just seemed like there were just so many times when they could never put a complete game together. I mean, look at the New Orleans game, the defense was dominant, but the offense was nowhere to be found. Right. Um, so, and then you look at, there were also times when, you know, the defense would get off the slow starts and then they would, kind of turn around but it'll be too late to me the classic example of that would be the Jets game yeah I mean they gave up 21 points in the first half and the Jets only scored a field goal the entire second half yeah so but you know by that time you know the Cowboys were down you know 15 points so that means they had to uh, pretty much you know throw their way back into the ball game and I think that was a, a, a big thing too this year it just seemed like they always found themselves down a couple of scores very early and I think that hurt Ezekiel Elliott in his production and maybe gave people a false sense of his season because there were a lot of times when we had to go away from him because we had to throw out way back back in the ball game yeah they they didn't really seem to play kind of Dallas Cowboys football that we've gotten used to where they would get off you know get off to a good start and have maybe an early lead early in the game and allowed themselves to stay in neutral play calling situations where they could throw or pass um for as good as Dak Prescott is you don't necessarily want to be in a pass you know a pass rushing or a a pass only situation you you don't want to be 
solely reliant on your passing game. You want to have balance to your pat, you know, to your offense. And there were several times this season where they really couldn't have that. And even when you know maybe the passing game was working early in games, uh, you know, defenses were you know still focused on stopping Ezekiel Elliott. And the Dallas Cowboys coaching staff was still you know determined to run on first down which got the Dallas Cowboys behind the chains several times, and it just didn't really allow them to get much momentum going, um, get into the flow of the game until they were, you know, like you said, behind a couple scores, and then it's like, oh, crap, now we got to open up the playbook and just kind of let it all hang out and see where it goes. Um, and, and then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I, it, it was just a really weird season. You know, you know, like against the Philadelphia Eagles back in like week nine, I guess it was, the home game where, you know, the defense just played absolutely incredible. You know, they, they held the, the Eagles, so it was like maybe 14 points, 17 points, something like that, and a huge blowout win for the Cowboys. Uh, and then other weeks, they, they struggled to stop the run. They struggled to cover. Uh, and, and as you said, it was just a really inconsistent season um, for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of things that, that we can take away from it and, and you know, looking oh, forward. Um, but let's kind of go position by position here, starting with the quarterback, Dak Prescott. Can it give me your impression of his 2019 season? I mean, there's a, you know, a lot of passing yards. His, you know, set a career high for touchdowns. You know, had one of the higher, higher QBRs in the NFL this season. Um, but give me your thoughts on Dak Prescott moving forward into 2020. Well, I was very, very pleased with his progression. You can tell that uh, Kellen Moore really allowed him to kind of be more of himself and kind of show his arm talent. I think uh, the previous offensive coordinator, Scott Linehan, kind of limited him in, in that perspective. So um, I, I'll be the first to admit I felt like that trust that was going to improve. But I didn't see an almost 5,000-yard season from him, though. Right. I, I would be the first to admit that. But he seems to be very comfortable in his game right now. Uh, I think he's getting a lot better at uh, trusting the guys around him. Um, he seems to have a just an amazing rapport with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think uh, that really that's really a positive going forward. To I mean, you can have your a great connection with your number one and, and, and your number two. That's big. I mean, they both ended up with a um, over, over eleven hundred yards. If, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, they... um, yeah. So that's very encouraging. Uh, he still has to work on a few things. Um, he can be just a little bit more accurate with his passes. I know there's a big debate going on on Twitter about his inaccuracy or accuracy or, you know, lack thereof or whatever. But I think there were times when he could have put the ball a little bit more out in front of receivers and they could have, you know, ran into catches instead of reaching back to grab balls. I think he still takes too many sacks when he doesn't have to. I think that ties into him being more aware of when he should use his legs because there were a lot of times he was under pressure and the middle of the field was wide open in the run, and he would hold on to the ball and then maybe have to throw it away or take an unnecessary sack or throw a bad pass. So I think once he realizes that he is who he is and he needs to use his feet more, I think he's going to be an even more complete player because he's going to be so much more hard to stop, not just in the air, but with his legs. So overall, I mean, I would give him probably, I'd say probably like a, maybe a B to B minus grade. Um, 
I do think that a lot of his yards came because we were down so much. But that doesn't just uh, – it wasn't just because of the offense. But so, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, the defense came out slow too. So, I mean, you're not going to come out and score, you know, 21 points every first half. That's not realistic. But yeah. when you have a defense that, you know, gets you behind two and three scores, it makes you one-dimensional. It makes you harder. I mean, excuse me, it makes you easier to defend. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that he had, he had, he had a really, really, really good season. Uh, and I think he's only going to get better uh, once he fine-tunes some things. So, yeah, that, that was um, a nice surprise uh, with how well he played. Cause I knew he would play well, but nearly 5,000 yards, I will be the first to admit I didn't see that coming. Yeah, in my in – my- kind of projection of Dak Prescott last year I hit I still had him about you know just under 4,000 yards because in his first three seasons in the NFL he hadn't he hadn't eclipsed 4,000 yards yet you know I think his highest total was about yeah and and so I mean it was definitely possible for him to to reach that goal and I thought you know 4,000 yard season would be kind of the you know a, a, a sign of a, a change in the offensive scheme you know becoming more balanced and throwing the ball a little bit more um you know we we talked about Dak or you talked about Dak's progression I think that's the thing that is encouraging is that each year in the NFL Dak Prescott's gotten better at something you know his his year-to-year sack total from 2018 where he had you know some one of the highest sack numbers in the NFL in 2018 to 2019 he had one of the fewest, you know, the lowest totals in sacks. Still, you know, to your point, though, I agree that there were times where he he could have used his legs to buy a little bit more time or to just go ahead and scramble and pick up whatever yardage was there. I do think he's still hesitant to do that for some reason. We saw it again a little bit in the Washington Redskins game where, you know, the Week 17 game where, you know, there was there was openings, so he just took the 5, 6, 10 yards. You know, he doesn't have to be Lamar Jackson and, you know, have a big 20-yard run every time he runs. But if he can be like – I, I, I kind of compared it to like Steve Young from the 90s where, you know, Steve Young wasn't going to necessarily run for 100 yards on you every game, but – you had to account for it, and if you left any any part of the field open to him, he was just going to take those easy yards, pick up those easy first downs, and just keep the chains moving. And I think that's where Dak Prescott, you know, could refine his game a little bit more is just, you know, recognizing those opportunities and taking them when they're there. You know, they they definitely got more focused on the downfield passing game this season, which was excellent. It helped open everything up by allowing Dak to just kind of chunk it at times. You know, he wasn't necessarily you know, accurate all the time with his deep ball, but he was better than he was in previous seasons. Correct. And and I and I really I completely agree with you that one thing he can do better is hitting players in stride on those crossing routes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if you know John Kitna is the quarterbacks coach moving forward, I think that's something that, that they'll work on um, in the twenty yeah. you know twenty off season to to help Dak improve because that was definitely an area where you know they left yeah. a lot of yards after catch kind of on the field because either Dak didn't hit him in stride or he didn't put the ball out in front to where they could run with it. Um, or there were drops because it wasn't necessarily a, you know, a perfect pass for the, or the receiver had to reach back behind them to get it. And so there's definitely areas that Dak Prescott can improve. Uh, but like you said, I think overall it's, it's a really encouraging sign to see, you know, the, the continued progression of your quarterback Considering all the intangibles that he has, you know the the strong leadership, yeah. the toughness, the durability, 
uh, you know, he does have some passing ability, obviously. We're seeing it unfold. Uh, he, and he's going to continue to get better in those things. Uh, and as we you know, continue to look at the offense, let's let's talk about your favorite player, or at least the favorite your your favorite player to write about. Uh, let's look at the running back position, which starts with Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, it it was kind of a quietly really really good season for Ezekiel Elliott. I think a lot of people were down on him because you know the first half of the season, I, I think he didn't really have his legs under him. Uh, well, would would you agree with that? I mean, I, I think he, you know, he he started showing more burst in the second half, more uh, ability to kind of finish his runs in the second half. Uh, give me your take on Ezekiel Elliott's season. Uh, Zeke, uh, to me, had another excellent year. Uh, I will agree with you that the first half of the season, um, it seems like that was his training camp. Like he was really, you know, you know, knocking off a little bit of rust getting in the football shape because the one thing to me and Cabo getting ripped up is another thing to get hit and put on shoulder pads and play football right so he seemed like he was really getting into his groove uh, like you said in the second half but the funny thing about it to me is that uh, Ezekiel Elliott tied the league lead with seven 100 yard games and five of them win the first half of the season okay he only had two in the second half so um you know, once he really got rolling, the unfortunate part to me was that's when a lot of games in the second half of the season where he came out very fast, uh, and they didn't continue to uh, feed the, uh, in, you know, specifically, I'm looking at two games back-to-back against the Patriots and the Bills when he had 61 yards, I believe, in the first half against New England and 56 yards in the first half against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And then the second half, he only had six carries against New England for 25 yards, I believe. He only had two carries in the second half against Buffalo. So there were just so many times where he could have, his numbers could have been even more uh, phenomenal than they were, but they just took the ball out of his hands for whatever um, whatever reason. But, uh, yeah, Zeke, he, I mean, you know, he nearly had 1,400 yards. He, he had uh, 12 rushing touchdowns and, you know, running back stream of those numbers. And this was looked at as a down year. He rode out of bed and gave you 1,412 touchdowns. So um, he had nearly 1,800 yards from scrimmage. He finished second to Christian McCaffrey in that in that category. So you're, you're talking about a guy who finished in the top four in rushing and rushing touchdowns, second in scrimmage yards, while playing with the guy who led the league in passing for the first 15 weeks, ended up second, and with two 1,000-yard receivers. All those things don't normally come from one offense. So I think Zeke proved that he was warranted in getting the contract. He he signed uh, right before the season, whether people agree with the way he did it or not. But when you got a guy that can go out there and get you 1,412 touchdowns, I mean, I don't see what there is to complain about that for the running back position. So, yeah, Zeke had another excellent season. It just went under the radar because Dak Prescott came out so on fire and was you know, throwing up, you know, uh, a party basically every week. I think his number, his season got kind of undervalued. And then, you know, um, the appreciation for him, for, you know, uh, to me, it was surprising to see how much people didn't appreciate what he was doing. But overall, I think he had another excellent year. Um, he's still that that guy, uh, regardless of what people say. Um, so overall, yeah, Zeke, uh, another excellent season. And it, it didn't surprise me at all because, to me, he's the best running back in the world. 
So just just a few numbers to throw at you that you know were a little bit surprising to me. He only had seven games this year where he had twenty carries, which I think goes a little bit to a right. point where you know they he got off to good starts and they kind of went away from it. You the Buffalo game, you know, twelve carries, seventy one yards total. He had another seven catches in that game, but you know, again. Some of it was game scripts. You know, the game got away from the Dallas Cowboys and they weren't able to continue it. The New England game is a little bit, it's kind of odd. You know, he, he finished with 21 carries, but you're like, well, they, they could have ran the ball a little bit more. Um, yeah, because he was, yeah, because he was averaging four yards a carry in that game. Uh, and so it, it's, it's just, I think some of this is probably a little bit due to some growing pains that we're seeing with a first year offensive coordinator, you know, just trying to figure out how to use all these pieces um, you know, you got an all pro running back, you got, you know, pro bowl wide receiver, pro bowl quarterback and a, you know, all pro offensive line and just figuring out how to mesh it all together. You know, I think a lot of people are still pretty positive about Kellen Moore altogether, but I think maybe Ezekiel Elliott's season is just a kind of a signal that maybe he just couldn't figure out exactly how to work everything together. And we're going through a little bit of growing pains. It's only his second year coaching in the NFL after being, after being a quarterbacks coach, you know, in year one. You know, let's let's talk about Tony Pollard for a second. Tony Pollard carried the ball 86 times, ran for 455 yards and two touchdowns. He also caught 15 passes for 107 yards and a touchdown. He averaged 5.3 yards per carry, and there were you know one, two, there were three, four games where he had more than 10 carries, and in each of the the only the only game in which he didn't average. Uh, more than four yards a carry was in the week one win against the New York Giants. Talk, talk to me about Tony Pollard. How are you feeling about Tony Pollard moving forward? Oh, man. I mean, I was I was a Tony Pollard fan uh, uh, coming into the draft last year. I was an even bigger fan when he started, and I'm even even bigger fan now. Uh, I think he's a perfect complement to Zeke. Um, you look at a guy who can give you more of that kind of home run style, a guy that can take it 60, 70 yards on any given play which is which has not been Zeke's uh, style uh, I equate Zeke's 
talking to now. She's like, you know, she's she he's not a haymaker. He's gonna hit you with a bunch of body blows and he's gonna knock you out the twelfth round. Yeah. But Tony Pollard can hit you with a haymaker at any given time. Right. So with Tony, I mean he's he's so dynamic. I mean you can put him in the backfield, you can line him up in the slots with a receiver, he can return kicks. You know, I think in college he averaged over nine yards per touch. Uh so he's uh, very explosive. Um you know, once he gets better at some things, I think he needs to work on, you know, you know, pass blocking will probably be an area. I don't, I don't think he's really good at that yet. But um, he's a perfect compliment to Zeke. Um, he, he keeps his, uh, Zeke's legs fresh. You know, anytime they, they, they can bring him in. And the thing about Tony that I like is that you can use him on the field at the same time with Zeke. Right. Because you can put Zeke in the backfield and then you can put Pollard in the uh, slot because he's also a very good receiver. So, yeah, he's uh, he was a blessing, man. And uh, I, I think... Once he gets more acclimated, you know, it's just his first year. Once he gets more comfortable, and Kellen figures out more ways to use him, I think they should use him a little bit more in the in the passing game. I mm-hmm. think he could have really been effective in the slot. But yeah, yeah, Pollard is um, definitely a little diamond in the rough, and uh, he gives us a really, really, really potent one-two punch running back. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we started to see kind of in the second half of the season how they would use. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield a little bit, uh, yes. and to and it was to Ezekiel Elliott's, Elliott's benefit as well because you know they would kind of run that triple option look with a fake to Elliott and then kind of run Dak and Tony Pollard wide. Well, when when they started showing that look, it opened things up a little bit more for Elliott uh, to get a little bit more cleaner running lanes. Um, I, I really, I really like Tony Pollard. I agree with you. I think they could have used him a little bit more at times during the season. You know, there was the Minnesota game. He only had one, one carry uh, in the whole game. Yeah. Or the the Buffalo game. He had he had three touch or three carries and a target. You know, against the Philadelphia Eagles, he only had two carries. You know, I I think right. you know he's like you said he's such a dynamic weapon. Uh, there was really no excuse to not get him the ball at least five times a game. Uh, you know, he showed he showed really, really impressive balance at times, which I was kind of surprised about. Like I knew he was going to have pretty good vision because if you're an elite kick returner like he was in college, you have to have good vision. And you you know he's going to have a good running ability and he's going to be able to catch the ball. But the thing I was really surprised about is what he was able to do on contact. And it, he never went down easy. You know, we talk about Ezekiel yeah. Elliott's ability to fight through contact. And he's just going to – like you said, he's going he's gonna to punish people and fight through that contact. Tony Pollard just kind of bounced off people like, you know, they'd hit him and he'd kind of bounce off them, stay on one leg and then keep, you know, keep going for, for a few more yards. And it was really impressive to see kind of a rookie runner be able to play with that much kind of, um, that much poise on contact. I I think he was definitely the best, you know, pick of the 2019 draft. And I'll I'll be, I'll be curious to see kind of what the Dallas Cowboys kind of envision for him in the future. You know, several of the coaching names that they're looking at or are rumored to be looking at like Urban Meyer, Lincoln Riley could really have a good time with a player like Tony Pollard. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree with that. Um, I said, you know, it's just, you know, to see a guy come in to be that young and to be, I mean, he, he just seemed like he was a veteran at times. He would make plays, and you just see, like, his, his whole demeanor is like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. You, know, you, you look like a, you know, a three-, four-year veteran sometimes. It's almost like, you know, like you said, those stretches during the season when he would kind of disappear for a few weeks, but then every time he had the ball, he was he was just lighting it up. Yeah. You know, just, you know, getting first downs, just going touchdowns. 
think at one point there was a time when I think if he, I can't remember when it was in the season, but it was some uh, stat that I saw that every time he he touched the ball ten times, the Cowboys were undefeated. Wow. Like every time he was in the mix and they mixed him as well, we always won. So I didn't understand why he would have stretches during the season where he would just be non-existent. You know, especially when uh, there were times when they were really keen in on Zeke. You know, and I think he could have been a good change of pace guy. But yeah, I would be very interested to see you know when this new coach uh, comes in, which I'm you know betting that there will be a new coach. You know, besides all the hoopla that's going on right now, mm-hmm. but yeah. talked about him being a perfect compliment to Zeke and, and I also think that not only in their running styles but just also in their personalities you know Zeke is just this very kind of intense football player you know he's he's a football coach's football player you know he's he's intense he's going to run through a wall for you Tony Pollard just kind of like more of the Amari Cooper style where he's just very understated just kind of shows up does his job you know he's he's just cool like I don't know that's just kind of the, the yeah. way I, I would describe him. He's very, very balanced, I guess. He's not going to get up, you know, get too high. You know, he's not he's not looking f- to get really worked up to run the ball. He's just easy going. Just, I don't know, he's more like R&B, exactly. you know, like sm- like smooth yeah. R&B, you know what exactly. I mean? So, yeah, hey. Yeah, Zeke's more heavy metal. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And he's going to lay some heavy metal on you. Hey, hey, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we'll continue talking about the Dallas Cowboys offense. This is the Inside the Cowboys year in review for 2019. We're talking with Matthew Lennox. Uh, we'll be back after the break. And welcome back to Inside the Cowboys. My name is John Williams. You can find me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can also go read my work at InsideTheStar.com. And today we're talking with Matthew Lennox, staff writer for InsideTheStar.com. Go follow him on Twitter at StarConscience. You're going to have to look up in Google Conscience because I always spell it wrong. It's con science, right? Yeah, uh, that's the best way you take the word con and science and put them together. There you go. There you go. Go follow Matthew over on Twitter. Uh, he's He's been with us at InsideTheStar.com for this last year, and he's been awesome. Make sure you check out his work over there. Had a really good piece about just kind of the Dallas Cowboys' last five seasons and really what's continuing to be a disappointing trend, right? This looked like it was going to be the year that somebody in the NFC East was actually going to be able to repeat as division champions, and the Dallas Cowboys could never really just uh, keep that momentum going from the early part of the season to to really take control of the division. Yeah, it's just, you know, it, it, the thing about it, you know, like, I mean, you come out the gate 3-0, I think when they were 3-0, they had a, they had a two-game lead on, on the entire division. And then, you know, you have a three-game losing streak. And then you win two in a row. And then you lose, and then you win another game, and then now now you're six and four, and then you lose four of your last six. It's just, it was, like I said earlier, it was just consistently being inconsistent. And that allowed uh, Philadelphia to creep back in and eventually win the division when uh, they had no business winning that division. I mean, I'm not saying that Dallas played great, 
don't see it because it didn't. But um, I still feel like the the better team didn't win the division this year. And people can look at that how they want. But uh, Philadelphia, I still don't feel is a better team than Dallas. I just think that the Cowboys um, just couldn't seem to put full games together on either side of the ball. And it, just, it cost them a lot of games that they should have won because they should have won the New Orleans game, in my opinion. Uh, they should have won a Jets game. Uh, they could have easily beat the Patriots. Um, there was just so many uh, missed opportunities. I mean, I think missed opportunities could be the slogan uh, mm. for the Cowboys season because they had so many chances to really slam the door on Philadelphia and not even make it a race down, down the stretch. But, you know, when you have multiple three-game losing streaks in one season and you lose four out of six of the season, you have a team like Philadelphia who's very banged up. Uh, down, you know, a bunch of number ones uh, at receiver and you know, missing offensive linemen, you get them back into the race and eventually it, it costs the Cowboys a trip to the playoffs. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of where we're at. And, and we're in the middle of talking about the, the Dallas Cowboys 2019 season. In the first segment, we talked about the, the quarterback, Dak Prescott, and the running backs. Now I want to go and uh, switch over to the wide receivers. And you mentioned it early on in the first segment that the Dallas Cowboys had two wide receivers with 1,100 yards receiving and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. And kind of what was impressive to me is that both of these guys averaged more than 15 yards per reception, along with Randall Cobb. They had three players average more than 15 yards per reception on the season. And that just, to me, that's like a greatest show on turf, Los Angeles Rams from the early 2000s type receiving work. Give me your thoughts on the wide receiver core from 2019. Uh, I thought they were really good. Um, you know, uh, of course, you know, the, the number one receiver, Mark Cooper, um, he had another good year. You know, you know, all, you know, he was you know, almost close to 12 in the yard. I think he had 1,189 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, you know, he was almost 12 in the yards. You know, he had eight, eight, eight touchdowns. Uh, it it could have been even more uh, if he wouldn't have got blanked against the Patriots or – you know, suffered some injuries that, you know, I mean, he, he basically, even though it, it counted as a start, and, you know, but he was he basically missed the Jets game. I mean, he played the first series, caught one pass, and he did play it tomorrow. So, um, the, the concern with me about Mark going forward is, is the injuries, uh, because when he's on the field and he's, and he's right, I mean, he's one of the top 10 receivers in the league, but I just hope that this injury thing isn't going to, something that's consistent also um, it just seems like the the disparity with him on the at home and on the road was mind boggling to me because he was a first team all pro receiver at home and on the road you know whether it be lack of targets or just lack of production he just I mean, he, he, he disappeared in a lot of games on, on the road so uh, I actually wrote a piece about it about the crazy dynamic uh, with him um, from home uh, versus away. I think when I wrote it, he had he had 77, uh, no, excuse me, he had 48 receptions uh, at home uh, in the first 14 games. And he had, I think it was 23 in the, in the seven road games. So that, that was a big disparity. So um, he can get better on the road. Um, I think that would really help the Cowboys a lot. He still had an excellent season. Uh, from the time he drafted him, uh, I didn't know much. 
got drafted, but when I watched his tape, you know, just to see a guy like he he attacks the football is what I like mm-hmm. about him. If it's anywhere in his vicinity, he's gonna get it. And for a guy to be in year two and to play with the receiver of the Cowboys over Mari Cooper and a veteran, uh, you know, very good slot receiver like uh, Randall Cobb, for him to get, you know, over 1,100 yards. And yeah, remember, he did it in, in 14 games. Yeah. Because he, he, he had two games that he missed uh, when he, you know, had the meniscus tear. So, right. yeah, he's a, he's a I'm still, I don't know, if he can get a little bit better at finding the end zone, uh, that, that would help him. He doesn't score a lot of touchdowns, but, um, you know, for a guy that, like I said, to play with two guys that caliber and to get 1,100 yards is great. I thought Randall Cobb had uh, a good season as well. Uh, it could have been, you know, better. Um, uh, I do think there were times when they didn't use him enough, too. They were just kind of gun hole and getting the ball to Amari and Gallup, but I think they should have used him more. Um, but he's, to me, one of the better slot receivers in the league. He still had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of football left in him. Um, overall grade for the receiving club, I, you know, I'd probably put him maybe around like around a B for the season. Um, but it's just, you know, to see, like you said, three guys after over 15 yards uh, per catch, that's that's kudos to them and working with that Prescott and getting that chemistry down, uh, especially a guy like Cobb who, you know, was a, was a first-timer. And then you look at how his, uh, how Dak's chemistry with Michael Gallup just went through the moon this year. I mean, he, he more than doubled his uh, rookie uh, production as far as yards go. So that that's kudos to both of them. So yeah, the receiving core, uh, I'm, I'm very happy about it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do with the top, being that he was only on a one-year deal. Uh, and they are. this is a very, very good uh, wide receiver class coming up in the draft. So, um, you know, good, I feel like there's good things ahead. Uh, there could be some improvement, but overall, I'm, Would you bring Randall Cobb back? I personally, I, I probably would. Um, I don't, I don't know if it'll be anything long term. It may be more so of maybe the deal he got this year, maybe just a you know a one year deal uh, for not a lot of money. But like I said, it's just this is a really good wide receiver class coming up. Yeah, I mean you got potentially four or five guys that could go go in the first round. So. Mm. Um, I would bring them back, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't because the talent pool in the draft is so deep. Yeah. Yeah, see, I'd be, I'd be definitely for bringing them back on a one, maybe a two-year deal even um, yeah, because right. it, it takes wide receivers a minute to transition into the NFL, generally speaking. You know, yes. This year we had, you know, you know, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf and Marquise Brown all have pretty good seasons, you know, but to, to play the slot, you know, it, it's a – kind of a, a more intricate position, I guess you could say. And if the Dallas Cowboys were able to convince Randall Cobb to come back on a one, maybe even a two-year deal, um, with most of those guarantees being in the first year, I'd, I'd be all for right. it because he, he showed a lot of toughness uh, for the Dallas Cowboys going over the middle of the field. Uh, his run-after catchability was something that kind of we hadn't had out of a slot receiver. No disrespect to Cole Beasley, but that just wasn't his game. Right. Um, and so I think he, he definitely offered a – a great dynamic and and he's a veteran player that offers some leadership in that locker room and so but bringing Randall Cobb back doesn't prevent you from drafting a wide receiver this year 
I'd be willing to do both. You know, bring yeah. you know, bring Amari Cooper back either in a long term contract situation or if you're gonna use the transition tag on him, that's fine too. Uh, and then and then re sign Randall Cobb one to two years, draft yourself a wide receiver and 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 roll with it. You know, there's no reason to not have four really good wide receivers in the NFL today. That way you can run more ten more ten personnel. The Dallas Cowboys love to go empty. Um, and you know, have as many weapons as you can. You know, Tavon Austin, he is a dynamic player, but he just he just didn't do much whenever he got the opportunities this year. Uh, you know, he had you know he had one two kind of good runs whenever he got carries. You know, he had twenty four targets, thirteen receptions. His chemistry with Dak Prescott on the deep ball just didn't seem to be on. Um, had a couple big big gains. You know, one of them was that schemed open um, reception where Blake Jarwin kind of picked the guy in the middle of the field and he was just running wide open. But otherwise, he didn't really seem to offer a whole lot uh, to the passing game. Um, yeah. So I, I'd be I'd be kind of okay moving on from Tavon Austin. He didn't really offer as much in the punt return game that I that I thought he was going to offer. Uh, and so you know, if you're talking about Randall Cobb or Tavon, I'd rather pay a little bit more for Randall Cobb um, and then just draft wide receivers moving forward. Uh, you know, I think, yeah. you know, getting back to Amari Cooper, I, I really think some of the um, some of the concern about him, and, and I, I know that there's a lot of people who are, who are disappointed with this season, but, again, you're talking about a, a guy who had nearly 1,200 yards. He had injuries that he dealt with pretty much all year. Uh, even, all year. you know, from training camp, he was dealing with plantar fasciitis, and that's not something right. that you quickly recover from. And you don't you definitely don't recover from it while you're practicing and playing. And so, you know, so much of Amari Cooper's season needs to be, you know, kind of seen through that context. You know, he was he was banged up all year long, and yet he continued to go out there and produce more often than not. He had some some games where like, where'd Amari go? But and then still toward the end of the season, he was having these excellent games. And so I, you know, I'm I'm 100 percent on board with bringing Amari Cooper back. He and Dak Prescott have excellent chemistry, you know. Yes, the injuries are a bit of of a concern. I would, you know, if the Dallas Cowboys are able to work it in, you know, definitely work in some kind of incentives, you know, for games played or, um, you know, some injury protection there. But otherwise, I have no concerns about Amari Cooper moving forward. Michael Gallup, he he looks like he's got the potential to be, you know, a lead wide receiver in an offense. Uh, you, you get a little bit frustrated with some of the, the drops at times where, the ball is right on the numbers and it just, he just kind of coughs it up and you're like, well, there goes Michael Gallup. But then, you know, he comes back and he makes some excellent plays like he did in the Washington game. And so you, yeah. there's a lot to be excited for with Michael Gallup um, moving right. forward. And so, you know, one more year, you know, in the off season to continue to work on his game. And I think we're going to see another, you know, another step forward for Michael Gallup. I actually thought going into this year that he would have a chance to lead the Dallas Cowboys in touchdowns and he came close. He only finished two touchdowns shy of the team lead. I think one thing that was, was odd is that they kind of got away from using him in the red zone uh, throughout the season. They, They didn't really look to target him where we saw, you know, at the end of the 2019 season, Dak Prescott felt very comfortable throwing that over the shoulder fade route to Michael Gallup. Um, You know, we saw it in the Seattle game. Where you know the playoff game that that Dak hit him on a really beautiful throw, and I don't I don't know. It seemed like they kind of went away from that a little bit more and tried to look more to the tight ends and to uh, to Amari Cooper. And so maybe that's something that they get back to. Maybe Dak Prescott grows 
you know, in his confidence and throwing that back shoulder fade or, you know, throwing some jump balls like he did against Washington. Because um, if, right. if they're able to add that element into their red zone offense, it's going to it's gonna help them to improve in that area, which wasn't very good in 2019. Yes, and it, uh, that's definitely something that they have to get better, better at is cashing in the red zone. Because the Cowboys can – they can match yards or anybody from 20 to 20 in, yep. in the entire NFL. Yeah. saying it a lot in the last couple weeks you can't expect your offense even if they're the number one offense in the nfl to go an average of 74 yards every single drive and expect and expect the offense to be consistent it's just there's too many variables whether it's penalties or drops or missed throws or even just a missed running lane Um, there's too many things that can go wrong on an offensive series that make it really really difficult to drive the length of the field that often um and so, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I think that's something that they got to really look into because, you know, there were very few times um, where it seemed that the red zone offense was just made it look easy. You know, everything looked like it was a struggle once they got inside the 20-yard line. And so, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Let's take a look at the tight ends. And, man, this, this has been a really, really frustrating position for me to watch this year. And, you know, as much as we love Jason Witten and, you know, he's a future Hall of Famer, he's going to be um, one day and, and potentially even a Dallas Cowboys coach one day, you know, down the line. Um, I think they really did themselves a disservice by not rolling back his snaps um, and playing more Blake Jarwin this season. Uh, 
one of the head scratching uh, uh, things about uh, this season for me was how Blake Jordan didn't get more touches, and they seemed to not want to get away from Jason Whip. My granted, you know, he's still excellent blocking. You know, he definitely has that advantage over over Blake. But as far as you know, being dynamic in the passing game, I mean, he's you know far you know above Jason Whip at, at this point. You know, being a 16 year veteran, so. Uh, hopefully they can figure that out because Blake Jordan, I mean, he's just over there screaming to be let to be let loose. I think if, if they really put him in the offense and let him shine, he can be one of the better tight ends in, in the entire league. You know, maybe not Travis Kelsey or uh, Kettles or anything, but you know, he can. Uh, I think he can get to maybe that Cal Rudolph level. You know? Yeah, totally. I mean, there were times in in the season where the Dallas Cowboys had to throw, whether it was late in the game or late in the second quarter. And still, Jason Witten was their their tight end on the field. You know, they 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 really mismanaged the position, in my opinion. When the when the defense knows you're going to throw, that's the time that Blake Jarwin needs to be in the game because he's your more dynamic weapon. He averaged more than 11 yards per reception. Jason Witten was at around eight and a half. Blake Jarwin averaged 5.1 yards after the catch per reception, and Jason Witten was only 2.6. Like. Yeah. Blake Jarwin had and the fact that he averaged eight yards for catch really is mind blowing to me. It didn't seem like it was that much. Right. And and Blake Jarwin on on forty two less targets had only five fewer yards after the catch than Jason Witten. And wow. and that and that boggles my mind. I mean there's there's so many numbers that you could look at that show that that Blake Jarwin was a, was a more efficient receiver than Jason Witten. And the, so the snap disparity was just, was just constantly frustrating because, you know, you know, we talk about trying to find players that are going to open up the offense for the, for Dak Prescott and, and open up lanes for the rest of the receivers. Well, when, when Jason Witten's on the field, you don't really have to worry about him beyond 10 yards, generally speaking. I mean, he had a few catches that were beyond, you know, 10 yards. There was that one-handed catch against the Rams that, you know, was on a on a, you know, skinny po- a skinny corner route. But, you know, typically Jason Witten's running under 10 yards and and he's going to get targeted under within 10 yards. Well, Blake Jarwin, you know, he did a lot of his damage after the catch on kind of some shorter passes, but he's a guy that if you're if you're sending him downfield, safeties and linebackers, they're going to have to be concerned about him. They're going to have to make sure that they're not letting Blake Jarwin run free because he's going to make you pay. And so then that takes yeah. a lot of the attention away from Ezekiel Elliott or it takes attention away from Randall Cobb or Amari Cooper or Michael Gallup. I mean, you know, he's again, he's still a young player in the NFL. He's not going to get a ton of respect. But if you hit him a few times down the field, that'll start getting people's attention and he's going to get that respect. And so, you know, again, the the snap disparity there just it just kind of boggled my mind throughout. You know, not necessarily kind of in the neutral situations because, like you said, Jason Witten is still the better blocker. But when when the when the game relied upon the Dallas Cowboys to throw the ball, I I don't understand why Jason Witten was still on the field and why Blake Jarwin was sitting on the sideline for those situations. Um, Like, it just seemed like 
takes, or maybe because he's such a good blocker, they rely on that. But like you said, there were a lot of passing situations when, you know, the Cowboys would be third and eight, third and ten, and he, you know, Whitten would be on the field, and, you know, he gets hit for a six yard pass, but it's third and 11. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I didn't, I didn't really understand that. But like I say, you know, it's just, you know, it goes back to Kellen Moore and the growing teams. And, you know, you got to remember, he, he had a lot of weapons mm-hmm. to deal with, you know, yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's a great thing. He, he's trying to figure out ways to, you know, get the ball to, you know, an, an all-pro receiver and two other guys that, that can reduce. He's got all-pro running back, another, you know, young stud. You know, he's got a, a tight end, so it's not exactly easy uh, to get everybody the numbers every week because it is only one football. I think that's something that fans don't have to realize because, you know, they, they want everybody to have, you know, 200 yards every week, and that's just not realistic. Right. But, yeah. You know, what's Kevin Moore, you know, I said, you know, this is his first year. And even with all that chaos, all the ups and downs and all the, you know, the situational misses that he had, he produced a number one offense in the league. So I think, you know, that's definitely a chip, uh, you know, excuse me, a feather in his cap. That yeah. My first year calling plays in the NFL, my offense was the most productive offense in the entire league. Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. And, and I, I think he'll get some ideas for kind of what to do next year. And one of the great things about, you know, if he does stay around or whatever the, the coaching staff looks like next year, one of the really positive things looking forward is the continuity of the offensive line and how great they played to kind of down the stretch. I mean, it, it wasn't always good in the first half of the season, but it got better as the season went along. And you're going to be returning likely all five of your starters from week one of the NFL season. You know, Connor Williams will be back after injury. Travis Frederick looks more like the Travis Frederick of old. And Lael right. Collins took a step forward to looking like an all-pro right tackle this year. Uh, tell, talk to me about the offensive line. What were your takeaways from the 2019 season? Uh, well, let's start with the elder statesman, uh, Tyron Smith. Uh, I think Barn, you know, maybe a few penalties here and there. I thought he was excellent once again. Uh of course, you know, at, at this point in his career, you know, the thing with him is just you just hope that he stays healthy because, you know, he's been nipped up the last couple of years. I think he missed three games uh, each of the previous couple of years before this year. So um, Tyron Smith is still one of the top two or three at, at, at his position. Um, he's definitely been a, you know, he, he was a blessing to Tony Romo and, and he's a blessing to uh, that person. I, not having to worry about that uh Blindside every week. Uh, mm-hmm. Zach Martin. I mean, what, what what more can you say about him? He is the best guard in football, hands down to me. Uh, he's just he's just so physical and so nasty. And and the thing that I love about Zach Martin the most is that even more so than any of them, it's like he, his legs never stop moving. Like mm-hmm. he just he just wants to like drive guys through through the earth. It seems like yeah. And um, so yeah, he's you know. He's a stud. I mean, Travis Frederick, I mean, for him to go through what he went through, uh, missing all last year with that with that, uh, with that uh, disease he had and you know, not knowing what his football future was, to come back a year later and be, you know, uh, you know the best in football once again. Uh, you know, he just, you know, he's a real special guy. You know, I remember coming out, you know, when he came out, uh, I didn't know anything about Travis Frederick. Uh, I just uh, didn't want the Cowboys to draft Johnny Manziel. So, yes. Um, you know, once his, uh, or excuse me, uh, no, I'm, I'm thinking about Zach Martin. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. Uh, 
hadn't stopped a sense. So, um, Lyle Collins to me was the biggest surprise on the offensive line uh, because he was a question mark, you know, uh, after the season he had last year. But like you said, I mean, he was a Pro Bowl, All Pro level uh, right tackle this year. I actually thought he got snubbed uh, for, for for the Pro Bowl, in my personal opinion. Um, yeah, he, he took a very, very, very huge step forward, and to the point now where you know you gotta look at him as one of the focal points in the offensive line to make sure you keep him around for years to come. Because he is—he's big, he's nasty. Um, I think you know once he uh, gets a little bit better with his with his technique, uh, I think he can uh, work on his you know his, uh, his his feet sometimes. But yeah, Lyle Collins, man, he. He's put himself not only as one of the the staples in the offensive line. I think he's put himself as you know one of the better right tackles throughout the entire league. So um, you know you got three all pro level players and another guy that's up and coming. So that's four or five spots in the offensive line that are pretty much nailed down. So and as you know, football teams you want to build them from the inside out, and the Cowboys have done a great job as far as the offensive side of the ball on uh, doing that. So. Yeah, the, the, the offensive line is one of the strengths of this team. Uh, I think, you know, we need to remember that more <laughs> in certain situations. Uh, you know, we have, you know, short down distance to go. We need to, uh, you know, go behind that, you know, offensive line has got hundreds of millions of dollars invested into it. But, yeah, overall, I think they were – offensive line was, was very good pass blocking. I, I will say that I think they took a step back run blocking. Because mm-hmm. there were a few games – Specifically uh, for me, uh, the, um, the New Orleans Saints game, uh, the Minnesota Vikings game, um, and even uh, early on to me uh, uh, against the Jets, it seemed like they were like they just got really bullied at the line of scrimmage, and um, that's not normal for them. So yeah. pass blocking, I would give them you know definitely high marks, but run blocking, they counter aggress a little bit, but overall, you know, I think Dak's uh, sack numbers. For the sacks, so I think it went down like almost thirty sacks this year. Yeah, or, huge, or huge like difference. So, yeah, it, it was it, it was a huge dip. So yeah, I mean, I think they they did a lot as far as putting their you know their group back at the you know amongst the best offensive lines in the league. I think they kind of took a step back last year, but um, you know, anytime you're you know blocking for you know a you know a top four rusher and. Two eleven hundred yard receivers and a guy that goes five thousand yards. I think that speaks volumes. So, that offensive line is still the bread and butter of this team. When, when, when they're dominant, the Zeke is dominant. Our offense is very unstoppable, and that keeps uh, the defense fresh. So, overall, yeah, the offensive line is definitely the, where the Dallas Cowboys start. And they're going to have four of their five offensive linemen locked up through the twenty twenty three season, and that's. That's really exciting. And even if you only have Tyron Smith for 13 games a season, I'd still take Tyron Smith at 13 games a year over pretty much any left tackle in the NFL. I mean, he's going to, you know, back issues never go away. He's going to, it's going to be a continuing thing for him. Um, Hopefully he'll be able to see the end of his contract. Um, But if he's, I mean, if he's able and he's right, he's still one of the best players in the NFL. You hit the nail on the head with Zach Martin. We, I don't think we talked much about him this year, but that's just because he just did the same thing he's done each of the previous five years in the league, and he's just played in another all-pro level. Uh, you know, Travis yeah. Frederick, I think some of the – maybe some of the run game issues were – 
kind of him getting his his feet back under him, getting his strength back, you know, dealing with the kind of the physical toll that it takes to be a center in the NFL and take on, you know, 320, 330-pound defensive tackles. Uh, right. I'd like to see another year from Connor Williams. You know, he, he has really, really good moments, and I think he's still kind of adjusting to life as a guard in the NFL. Um, right. But I think there's, like like you said, there's a lot of a really encouraging things about the offensive line moving forward. You know, they, they had a good season. I won't say it was a great season. Um, but, again, it, it it was good, and it, and they're going to continue to be good moving forward. Um, you know, the, the offensive side of the football for the Dallas Cowboys is going to continue to, to put up big numbers because they, they have a they have their core in place from Dak Prescott to Ezekiel Elliott to the offensive line. They'll be bringing back Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. And so, you know, as we look to 2020, the offense is still going to be really, really good. No matter who, the, what, no matter what the coaching staff looks like, that offense is going to be really, really good. Uh, quickly, before we go, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about the coaching staff. Who is the guy that you would want to bring in to be the Dallas Cowboys next head coach? Well, you know, there's a lot of talk, you know, about, you know, the Urban Myers and the Lincoln Rileys of the world and all that. Me personally, I am on the Mike McCarty bandwagon. Okay. Um, I am more keen to bring in a guy who has a lot of NFL experience. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy has, you know, I mean, he's won a Super Bowl. He uh, consistently had teams make the postseason. So I'm more leaning towards him. Uh, I know that you know those other guys are maybe the hot, sexy names, but if I had to choose, Mike McCarter would be number one on, on my list personally. Yeah, and he's definitely one of those names that's on the short list for me. He, I'm, I'm very intrigued by the possibility of him. Like you said, he's got a lot of experience. He's got a lot of um, he's won a lot of games. He's won a Super Bowl. Has you know had one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, playing as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for a long time, and Aaron Rodgers, and so that's that's definitely a name that I think we should be keeping an eye on and and try not to forget because you know before the last couple of years everything was great in Green Bay. You know, they 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 were having excellent season after excellent season. The offense was putting up great numbers, and I think maybe just the relationship in the between playoffs. yeah, always in the playoffs. I think you know, similar to what happened with Jason Garrett in Dallas, I think just kind of it was just time for a change at the head coaching position yeah. for the green Bay Packers. And, uh, and so that's definitely a name that we should keep an eye on. Hey, Matthew, man, I really, really appreciate your time here on the, on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Make sure oh, you guys. Absolutely, man. It, 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 it was a pleasure. And, you know, you know, we, we've already built a nice uh, report our first time. So, you know, I definitely want to continue that. Yeah, man, we'll definitely have you back on, um, sometime down the road. Uh, make sure y'all go to Twitter, follow Matthew at star conscience, go to inside the to read his work this week. Uh, he's going to, he's going to be continuing to put out excellent stuff. So make sure you go read his work. Hey, Matthew, have a great day, man. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you, John. Take care, buddy.